Well, welcome. Thanks for coming tonight to Wednesday worship. We kind of had a gap there in our pattern due to Holy Week and Maundy Thursday. We are continuing our series, and even if this is your first night for Wednesday worship, that's okay. Pretty much each week can function as a standalone. On the back of the bulletin that, that was hopefully grabbed on the pedestal on the way in, on the back of the bulletin is the prayer that we use on Sunday mornings when we, uh, after we've had communion. And what I'm doing for this series is I'm taking that prayer, which is really rich and deep and full of incredible meaning and pulling out sections um, and then going to the scripture to see where those ideas come from and then teaching from that on Wednesday night. So tonight, I want to look at the concept of being living members, that God has graciously accepted us as living members of his body. So the scripture that I want to go to is uh, Ephesians chapter 2, um, verses 11 through 22. And uh, if you want to turn in a pew Bible, the page is up there on the screen. It'll also be on the screen as I read through this. And um, I just personally like to have a Bible in my hands when I'm reading the scriptures so I can see the context. The screens are helpful, but it's always better to have a Bible in your hands. So I'm going to read verse 11 and down to the end of chapter 2. So let's now listen to what the Apostle Paul says to us from the Lord. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Thanks be to God for his word. Well, tonight as we look at that passage and the, the, that part of the post-communion prayer, really the concept, my title, the focus of this talk is about rejection and acceptance. Because the prayer does say you've graciously accepted us. But why did we need to be accepted? Well, the opposite of acceptance is rejection. So those two things are what I want to tease out tonight. Now, anytime I hear the word rejection, there's a movie that comes to mind. There's a movie and a, and a quote, and um, it's a generationally past thing from a father to a son in the movie, and it dates me because it's an old movie. But up here, I'm going to put a character on the screen. Many of you guys will recognize this guy. 
That is uh, the character George McFly from uh, the movie Back to the Future. And in the movie, uh, George McFly has a son named Marty McFly. And uh, Marty McFly is um, insecure, but he's in a rock band. And his band is uh, potentially going to play in a, in a kind of a battle of the bands thing. And his girlfriend says, Marty, I think you really should do this. And he says, I'm just not sure I can handle that kind of rejection. And as you know, in the, if you've seen the movie, he goes back in time and, and he sees his father at his age. And he's trying to encourage her, him to, to date his future mom. And, and George McFly says the exact same words. I'm just not sure I can handle that kind of a rejection. And that when I hear rejection, I think of him saying it, and that character, the way he said it, and his, you know, flipping his hair out of his, uh, off of his forehead, I'm just not sure I can handle that kind of rejection. You know, fear of rejection is huge, and it's universal. I mean, it's universal to all of us. I can remember being, I think I've shared this with some of you before, I can remember being an adult in my late 20s doing youth ministry and going onto the high school campus into the lunchroom to just do some contact work and interact with high school kids. And the feelings of fear that I would be rejected if I walked up to a table and said, hey, what's going on, Ellie? How are you today? And got the like cold look and, and feeling like, man, I'm, I got rejected. That fear of rejection is real and it doesn't end when you get to a certain age. It's a lifelong thing. We carry that. I have a, a book um, that my friend Bishop Trevor Walters gave me. It's a book he wrote based on his doctoral dissertation, and it's called EAS Syndrome. And it's not really a syndrome. He heard the acronym one time, and he, he took, took it and published a book under that as if it's like some real um, uh, mental behavioral issue. But it, EAS stands for Early Affirmation Syndrome. And the whole book is about what happens to somebody who does not experience affirmation early on in life and how that can play out. And in the book, Bishop Trevor talks a lot about his own, um, what he experienced as rejection from his own father, that if he got the B plus in math, his dad wouldn't say, well done, way to bring it up from a C. He would say, well, get an A minus next time. And was always going one more, one more, one more. And he never felt affirmed for where he was. And so he carried it way into his adulthood, this sense of rejection, and, and talked about what happens from that and how to overcome it. And the whole book was about his doctoral work on that. Now, that early affirmation syndrome coming from our family of origin is significant. But how much more so when it's coming from our creator? If we sense rejection, if we feel like God has rejected us, how, how much that shoots us to the core, right? So there's different levels of rejection and different ways that it can come. One of the, one of the best books written on Christianity in the last hundred years is Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And Lewis identifies in this book something that's really interesting. He's very reasonable. He's uh, philosophical. He thinks rationally through steps of certain things. And he starts out in... Um, in the, in the very beginning of this, he says, he summarizes his, his first chapter and he says, these then are the two points I wanted to make. First, that human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way and they cannot really get rid of that feeling. And then secondly, 
that they do not in fact behave in that way. Universal human experience. We have this internal sense that we should do something and we know that we don't do it. They know the law of nature and they break it. These two facts are the foundation of all clear thinking about ourselves and the universe in which we live. And then he teases that out a little further in the next chapter and he says this. It's after you have realized that there is a real moral law, that internal sense of there's something I should do but I'm not doing it, there's a moral law, and then there's a power that lies behind that law. And he capitalizes the letter P in power. In other words, God is real and he's written his law on our hearts. And he says, it's after you realize that there's a moral law and there's a power behind that law and that you've broken that law and put yourself wrong with that power. It's only at that point that then Christianity has something to say to you. If you don't think there's a moral law and you don't think there's a higher power and you don't think you're at odds with that power, then Christianity's got nothing for you. But the problem is it's a universal experience. I know God. I know he's real. And I know because I have his law written on my heart and I know that I don't obey the law. So I experience this sense of separation. God is there. I'm here. He's not happy with me. It's a kind of fundamental rejection that we all experience. And there's a brokenness to us that has to be healed, that we can't fix. I can't go up there and say, hey, accept me, fix, fix, like, I'm going to fix it. I'm so broken that he has to come down and fix it, which is the gospel. Now we're talking about this um, Ephesians chapter two here. And the apostle Paul says in verse 11, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, and he goes on from there, remember, remembering is so important in our faith. It's a big, it's a big part of what we do every week when we come to the Lord's table is it's, of course, it's communion with the living God, but it's also an act of remembrance. We remember how on the night he was betrayed and we, t- and we talked through what he did. And even this morning in the morning prayer, the daily office, we went back and we looked at the, the command to keep a Passover for the Israelites, to remember what God did when he delivered them out of Pharaoh's hand in Egypt, and to go through this meal, this Passover meal, to remember, remember, remember. Now, Paul doesn't just say, remember what God has done for you, but he gives a list of some really hard things here to remember for those who are in the faith. If you'll put that list of things up there on the... Um, on the screen, separated, alienated, strangers, no hope without God in the world. That's what he says in verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, if you're like me, you like to jump over to the but God and look at what he did. But what Paul says is remember where you were. Don't forget what it was like before Christ came. Look at what your life would be like. You have no hope and you're without God in this world. That is a terrible place to be. We long to be accepted. We long to have God. We need hope. We need him. We don't like to be separated. You know, solitary confinement is actually real punishment for people to have to be off by themselves alone for long periods of time because we were made for fellowship with one another and with God to be separated from all that, to not be part of the commonwealth of Israel, to not have any of this is terrible to us. And Paul says, remember that. Now, when he says you and we, he's, he is, it's, it's a little unclear because I didn't read the whole context, but he's talking about you Gentiles as opposed to us Jews. 
but he's about to make the case that in Christ, there's just one people. Okay, so he goes on and he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. So here's where the acceptance comes in. You know, the rejection is there is a God. He's put his law on our hearts. We break the law. We've rebelled from him. We experience rejection and separation. But God then brings those who were far off near. The invitation is to come near. And, and then in verse 18, jumping down a little bit, he says, for through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So whereas before you were separated and alienated, now he's brought you near and given you access to the father through Christ. The living God is here in this place. As Gail prayed, this is a sacred place. This is our sanctuary. This is a place set aside for worship. We invite God here. I like to think of this in the middle of the day when I'll walk over from the administrative building and come into this building. God's here waiting for us. He is the host and we are all his guests. We're in his house and he delights for us to come near. He's given us access to come near through Christ. That's part of that acceptance. He has graciously accepted us as living members of his body. So we were far and now we can come near and we have access. And in verse 14, he says, he himself is our peace and has made us both, meaning uh, Jew and Gentile, made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So our alienation from God has played out, meaning that we then have alienation from one another. So we have conflict and strife with each other. We experience hardship in relationships. We experience strife and difficulty and conflict and separation and alienation at times. And what he says is Christ now is our peace and has made us one and brought us back together. That acceptance with God plays out in having acceptance with other people. He's building a people. He uses a ton of metaphors in here and all of them are awesome. Working kind of backwards with these metaphors in verse 19, he says, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but now you're fellow citizens. So he's got that citizenship idea, that metaphor's in there. And he also talks about a household. So you are now citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So the idea of a household, you know, the, the head of the household and then all the occupants, you know, it's about tax time and you're gonna be filling out your, your tax forms and it's, you know, how many people are in your household and how many exemptions can you claim and all that sort of stuff. The, the metaphor of a household with Christ as the head. In verse 21, it says that there's a whole structure and it's growing into a holy temple. Now we've got the idea of a temple, another metaphor in there. And backing up a little further to, uh, to verse 15, um, he uses the idea of a new man, a new kind of man, a new human, a new way to be human. In verse 15, he abolished the law of commandments that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, and so making peace. So now there's this new kind of humanity with Christ at the head of it. And, and then one body in verse 16. So the prayer, you've graciously accepted us, speaks to all those things that Christ has made available. And that you've access, accepted us as living members. If you want to put that other slide up with that prayer, I underlined the three things I wanted to emphasize. First, you've accepted us. And then second, as living members... So living members, not dead members, you know, if you, you remember when the pet rock came out, like some brilliant person started marketing rocks and people would buy a pet rock, uh, crazy, but people did it. A pet rock is not living. It's a dead pet. 
It doesn't come when you call it. It won't move. You don't have to feed it. It doesn't go to the bathroom, but it won't also give you any affection. Very different than a living pet, an actual dog or something or a cat or whatever that breathes and lives and interacts. We are not dead members. We're living members. And what that means is that we actively follow him. Francis Schaeffer, who um, published extensively in the 70s and had a whole community of Christians, and um, I'm just now starting to get into some of his work. Um, He has a book called The Mark of the Christian, and he refers to that, um, that mark of the Christian coming from the upper room discourse where Jesus washed the disciples' feet, which we played out last Thursday. Um, He he washed the disciples' feet, and they said, a new commandment I give you, as I have loved you, love one another that the mark of the Christian is to be love. And in that, in that book, um, Francis, Francis Schaeffer says, it's possible, possible to be a Christian without the mark. You can be a Christian, but not be living out actively love. Be caught up in self. Sure, you're saved. Sure, Jesus loves you. Sure, you've accepted him. You might come to his table every week. You might do all sorts of things, but not be living with the mark of the Christian. And in verse 16, he says that Christ has killed the hostility. That's kind of the other side, right? There's hostility. He's killed the hostility that existed between people. And then in in John 13, he's invited us to now take on the kind of love that Christ had for us. And he said, that'll be the mark of Christian. Love one another as I have loved you. You're supposed to look like that. So God has graciously accepted us instead of rejection And he has made us living members, and that active following of Jesus plays itself out in loving others. And then, you can put that back up there, and then the third thing is active of the body of your son. The body of your son. We're we're living members of the body of his son. On, um, put that next picture up there too. What is a church? I mean, I just pulled a picture off the web of a cool looking little chapel stone church there. What is a church? You can define the church in a number of different ways, but the word in the Greek for church is ekklesia, and it literally means an assembly or a gathering. So it's sort of like when the synagogue would assemble, that was an assembly, a gathering. So the church, the idea of a church is not a building, a physical building. I know we would say we're in the church right now, but we actually are the church. The church is a, I I can't say a non-physical building because we are the living stones and we're physical and God uses us to build this thing together. But being part of the body of Christ is to be the church. And he has graciously accepted us as living members of his body, which is the assembly of his people in the world. So whereas before we were alien, strangers, not citizens, now he has brought us together and he is building for himself a brand new temple for him to dwell in. And you are the bricks and Christ is the cornerstone. And that is a holy temple. It says in um, verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Again, Paul loves to mix metaphors, right? You don't grow a, a temple. You build it by taking dead stones and stack them. But because we're living stones, it can grow. And Christ is growing us into something. And it's a dwelling place for him. It's the new temple of God. 
It's the temple that he resides in, which is the people of God, with Christ at the head. <clears throat> now, I found a really cool picture that I liked that was a mosaic, and I put it on, uh, you can put it on the screen too, but I put it on your, your bulletin there. This is a little collage of, you can't quite see it either on the picture or up there, but what you can see is the person in the middle of it. It's a collage of millions of pictures of people. The whole thing was made with pictures of people. And yet, there's one person. There's this new person, this new kind of temple where Christ is the head and we are the body. And I thought that was a really useful picture. And I want us to think about how much we've been given in Christ and what this acceptance looks like and where we would be without him. And as we come to his table and come for prayer ministry tonight to come and bring to him what, whatever the burdens are and bring to him those places of rejection, those places where we've experienced rejection or might even be experiencing it still. Because the incredible thing about the Christian message is what Christ does for us empowers us then to go and withstand places where we're not being accepted and not crumble under the weight of that and, and begin to fail. Because we know that Christ says, I love you. You are mine. You are in my temple and I am building you into a holy place for me. And so when he says that we are lovable and accepted and living members and belong, that gives us the ability to go out into a world that doesn't know anything about that. And we can take the bruises and the cuts and the bangs and not crumple under them. In fact, we can begin to extend that to others, that mark of the Christian. We can start to accept people who don't deserve it because we know that we didn't deserve it when we were accepted. So every Sunday, every time we have communion, we pray that prayer. But I want to slow us down a little bit and think about it. You graciously accepted us as living members of your body, the body which is your son. We are those people being built together into this, this incredible temple that God delights to dwell in. We are his people and we are precious to him. He has accepted us because of what Christ has done. So what we're going to do tonight 